Hi, this is Chris Hoff, host of the Radical Therapist podcast, and as a licensed marriage and family therapist, it is in my professional opinion that you are at extreme risk if you were to listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. So please don't listen, and that's why I don't listen. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us, episode 523 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I'm your host for this episode, as sometimes I am, and I'm joined by the lady who was always here, the lovely, the talented, the beautiful and scholarly, Brittany Page. So, we don't normally uh, promote a lot of other, like, Twitter accounts, I don't think we ever do that, actually. I have a Twitter that secretly just promotes Twitter accounts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there... So when I signed up for Twitter in 2009... It's Me been, too. It's been 10 years on Twitter. And at first, I used to tweet like, you know, oh, I'm going to the beach and oh, I'm walking to the house time. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm walking to the house time. You know, like what people thought Twitter was and what some people still think Twitter is, where you're just like tweeting about what you're doing. I'm eating pizza. Yeah. With a like <laughs> right. shitty picture of your slice of pizza. <laughs> Um, how I used to take food pics like 10 years ago. Yeah. With the, I, the, the original iPhone with that terrible camera. Yeah. You thought it was crystal clear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of like how when we see old TV clips now, um, from like way back when, yeah. and you can't even oh, see yeah, what's on right. the TV. Like, how did we even know what was on the TV? Which basketball teams are playing? Yeah. Like, it's yellow and, <laughs> I, I mean, is that like, what's going on? Not good for our yeah, eyes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I use Twitter far more than Facebook and m- all my social media is, except for Instagram is primarily used to just share information. I don't use it to talk a lot about what's going on in my life or my day-to-day you don't announce when you're eating pizza you uh, mean. well sometimes i check in at a restaurant after i've left yeah. don't, i don't want to get attacked we've, we've definitely talked about that yeah um but one account that i really love and that i think is a very important follow is at talk poverty and we've talked a lot on this show about how both of us grew up poor mm-hmm. and how influential that has been for our worldview um into adulthood and they tweet all the time about issues related to poverty in America. And sometimes they tweet things that I haven't even been hearing about in the news. Hmm. Uh, like the 400,000 households that could lose food stamps under Trump's new plan. Yeah. By the way, that is the kind of account you want to follow on Twitter mm-hmm. is when you're hearing things that are not the mainstream news shit that you know, that doesn't get covered. This is important stuff. Yeah. And the other thing I saw from them, which I found this just absolutely fascinating, was little free pantries that are popping up around the country. Now, have you heard of little free libraries? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they have those pantries. 
Right. So they have these. Well, let's talk about little free libraries first. They are these what they sound like little free libraries that people create. They build in their neighborhood. Yeah, they look like uh, like an ornate dollhouse mailbox. Yeah. And they're big mm-hmm. and they got a door on them. Yep. And they're out in front of somebody's house where their mailbox would be. Uh huh. And you, uh, you open the door and there's a bunch of fucking books in there. And you can take one. That's right. For take free. one, leave one. It's kind of like the jar of pennies at the at the gas station. Yeah. You leave a penny, you take a penny. Book, book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now they are creating little free pantries. With canned goods, which I assume you're not going to be leaving and taking unless you, you put in... I guess it would work the same way. Now I mean, that I'm thinking about well, it. people can bring. You don't have to put something yeah, in just because you take something that's right, out, right? That's right. Um, but it's not just food that's in here. It's also toothpaste, shampoo. It is for people who are in need. Are in need, and they yeah. need the basics. And maybe they're struggling and they can't get it anywhere else, and so they can go to these little free pantries that are popping up across the country. And it's grown pretty rapidly they're becoming very popular and part of it is because there's actually a website littlefreepantry.org where nice where you can print off pdfs of actually how to build them um and also what to put in them it gives you ideas best, best practices yes um and so people can use these as like an emergency food source or you know toothpaste shampoo whatever is in there at the time and this is really helpful because according to the u.s department of agriculture 40 million americans including more than 12 million children lacked access to a sufficient supply of food in 2017. Food insecurity is pernicious. Because if you're not eating well, you're not thinking well, your stress levels are off the charts because, I mean, I think most of us, most of the people listening to this, the vast majority of people listening to the show don't have to worry about where their next meal's coming from. If you're not sure if you're going to eat again or when or what... Think about what kind of stress that would add to your your existence. That's mm-hmm. a bummer. Yeah. Well, and you also have people that may be in situations where they're forced to choose between whether they should eat or pay for shelter yeah. or if they need to pay for gas Medicine. or right, if they need to get some sort of medication and they're having to make hard choices about where to actually put their money. So we thought we would talk about this because maybe some of our listeners are interested in building one and putting it in their neighborhood um, or interested in having a conversation with their neighbors about whether or not to build one together and put it in the neighborhood. I don't know. Like a community one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think it's just a really cool idea and I I hope that it catches on and and we see them everywhere. What's that website again? It is littlefreepantry.org. That will definitely be in the show notes as well as on the Facebook page. We'll make a post about it and talk about it there. So um, that is awesome. I love when you find cool shit like that. Mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Something that's, uh, uh, I don't want to say quirky, because that's not quirky, but different and um, not super viral. Yeah, for yeah, sure. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to some listener communication. Last time on the show, we talked about E. Jean Carroll, who is the latest woman to come forth with her harrowing tale of sexual assault, in her case, rape, at the hands of Donald Trump. We talked about her account and her interview, what I would consider maybe an odd interview with um, 
Anderson Cooper, let's to refresh. This is what made me think it was a little odd. You know, but I think most people think of rape as a I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not. I think most sexual. people think of rape as being sexy. Mm. So. We we talked about the her account of it and the fact that she was hesitant to call it rape, even though she says that he did insert. He did penetrate her vagina with his penis. She fought him off. And uh, she, she described her reluctance to use the word rape because she's a fighter, she said, because it was over quick. Yeah. She's okay. She's gone on to live a happy life. She wasn't thrown to the ground and ravaged were her words. And that there are women who are in other countries that are experiencing sexual violence um, constantly. Yeah. So we talked about it. Mm-hmm. And um, some people have some feedback yeah. about what we said. We'll just we'll start there. We got an email. Yeah. And we'll start with that. Dear Jesse and Brittany, before I wrote this, I considered making myself anonymous. I changed my mind because I realized what happens to us as women should never be hidden because it feels like condoning it. Let me start out by saying as a 30-year-old woman, when I look back on my life, I realize that 95% of the sexual encounters I've had with men prior to my fiance were a form of sexual abuse. My first time having sex, my partner basically forced me to accept it because he got tired of waiting. My second time, he got me drunk. At first, I thought it was okay because I willingly accepted the alcohol and had a feeling of what was about to happen. But in hindsight, he coerced me into feeling like it was okay. My boyfriend before my husband did rape me. Again, I didn't think it was rape because we were already having sex. But halfway, I felt uncomfortable and begged him to stop. He didn't. Afterward, I felt violated. But since he was my boyfriend and the act was happening, it had to have been okay, right? I'm a curvy woman and I've been unwillingly touched, groped, and felt to be ashamed of my body because how dare my assets be so inviting? Then again, I was a girl who felt completely unloved and was also always called ugly and disgusting to my face. So any male attention I did get, I accepted because it beats never being touched. Like E. Jean Carroll, I didn't consider what happened to me rape or abuse in my 20s. Unlike E.G. Carroll, I did realize it later on and called it such. However, that does not negate how she feels about her experience. Yes, she doesn't consider what happened to her rape. But as the person who was affected by it, is it our place to tell her otherwise, to force her to say those words, to make her think of it in the way we do? As a woman who writes advice columns, she has a duty to her audience for sure. But to me, her giving advice and experiencing her own trauma is not one in the same. Some people are much better at giving advice than taking it. I also understand why she's adverse to the word rape, because if you can believe it, there are a lot of women who consider men taking them against their will a sign that they are attractive and wanted, that a man thinks she's so lovely he loses his mind for her. Some women like my past self who have never been desired would feel that way. It's a weird self-esteem boost, especially if they have been called ugly and undesirable their whole lives, another form of trauma in and of itself. I personally do not agree with her definition of what happened to her, but as someone who's gone through it myself, I know I would rather people not tell me what to label my experience. Only I can do that because I carry those scars. If she is happy in her life now, her form of coping should be respected, even if we do not agree with it. Jen from Long Beach. Um, I want to say a couple of things. And the first thing is, this is why I said um, a handful of times that if she doesn't want to call it rape and that's what she needs to do, then that's fine. You definitely said that. Right. I, um, 
I'm not telling her to call it rape. I am. My issue was that she is minimizing her experience and saying things like it was quick. That's why I don't think it's rape. I'm okay now. That's why I don't think it's rape. I've gone on to be happy. That's why I don't think it's rape. Um, all of those things send a message. I wasn't thrown to the floor and ravaged. Right. That's why I don't think it's rape. All of those things send a message to people who hear that and think, oh, shit. Why am I affected by something that wasn't long term, that wasn't in an alley? Wasn't violent. Right. That wasn't me being thrown to the ground and ravaged. Why am I not happy? I'm I'm not okay. What's the deal? Right. I just think it creates a unnecessary question in some survivors minds right yeah um and that was my main issue i was never never telling her that she needs to change the name that she gives her experience i didn't say that uh what i did say is that i think it it would be a little bit better for her to be more responsible with how she's talking about it and maybe understand how it would be heard to other people who have experienced similar things right that's it yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna remain as silent as I I can, but you know, it's it's news and comment here, and that's what we do is talk about things. Uh, it seems to me, having never been a victim of this kind of thing, but she is a public figure. She took time, gave great thought. Before writing her book, she probably debated whether or not even to include this piece of her life, this trauma, this horrible experience from her life. She chose ultimately to put it in. She labored over the writing and telling the tale. Chose her words very carefully. Great thought was involved in this. She then went on the press circuit to promote her book. That's the reason we know about this now is because she wrote this in a book. So she is a communicator. She is a professional. And the part about her being advice columnist, being separate from being able to um, think about her, her experience in a different way, the reason it's important to talk about the fact that she's an advice columnist is because people respect what she says. They take her point of view and her advice and the way she thinks about things to heart. She is respected. So if there are women out there who hear this and go through the same rationalizations that you just described, Brittany, that, wow, the same thing happened to me, and I've been busted up about it. Something must be wrong with me. Right. Because if she doesn't consider it rape... Mm-hmm. That it, comparison Maybe comes I shouldn't think it's rape. Right. And let me say this. Or I shouldn't be as affected by it. Am I weak? Am I not a fighter? Am I not strong? Yeah. Right? You start questioning yourself. And I just... I don't think that that is helpful. And... Never was I trying to say she needs to call this rape because that's what it is. No, it was, um, hey, man, you know, you you tell yourself what you what you need to. OK, I totally get that. I respect that. Um, at the same time, think about how this might be affecting people, what yeah. you're saying. Well, also, let's let's be clear. What happened to her was rape. 
if a penis is inserted into a vagina and there isn't consent, it's fucking rape. Well, you don't even need to specify penis. I don't think that she even specified. She just, just said there was ha- penetration. What happened to her? Oh, she did. There was penetration. Oh, it but, could- but still rape. It, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You don't need to specify penis. It right. was penetration that she said no to. She did not consent. Whether it was fingers, whatever it was, the answer was no. And he continued. If you if you have an arm amputated and it's gone, you know you don't have an arm anymore. And someone says, "Oh, you! I went to high school with you. You had two arms. Now you don't have an arm. Did you have an amputated? Oh no, I don't. I don't like to call it amputation." That's fine if that's what you want to do when you're dealing with it. But your arm was amputated. Some things are facts. There's no wiggle room around that. She was raped. And more importantly, it's it's the, the perception of it from people who are, at, who are also victims. Yeah, but I, I still think it's important to say, and, and Jen from Long Beach makes a good point, one that I don't think that um, I opposed on the, on the previous episode, if she doesn't want it called rape, then fine. She doesn't need to call it rape. Well, if, if she doesn't, not, if, if she that, doesn't want to call it rape herself, mm-hmm. yeah. If she, if that's not what she wants to call it, that's perfectly fine. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I. Yeah. She, she doesn't want to call it that. She, she feels like that is a strong word. It doesn't fit with her experience. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree on on letting a woman, a victim, have her space to to deal with her trauma in her way. That's not, I don't think, what the problem or the argument we're having here is. Right, I don't think so either, yeah. It's it's the matter of how other victims who aren't rich and powerful people with media access, how they perceive the story when they hear it. That is the overarching theme of what we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, thanks, Jen. Listen, first of all... um, I guess it's not first of all since we're we're addressing it next, but um, thank you for sharing your story. Absolutely, thank you for pushing back against something that you thought needed pushed back against. We're we're fine with the dissent. We're fine with it. Well, and it's an important clarification, right? Yeah. Um, because if Jen heard that, I'm sure other people heard that as well. Yeah. Right. And and I think it's important to this is why why we why we take voicemails why we take emails because. Sometimes we do say dumb shit that needs to be corrected, right? Yeah, mostly me. Um, <laughs> and people, it, it kind of reminds me of that Humans of New York post with the eye doctors. Did you see that one? They recycled it. It's it's like it's like years old, but um, you know, Humans of New York. Yeah, yeah. And I've come around on them. Yeah, they like. I think it's a photographer guy, and he just like runs into people and like interviews them. Anyway, these two old men were sitting on a bench, and the caption says, "We're eye doctors," and it says, "What's something about the eye that most people don't realize?" And one of them or both of them said, "Quote: The eye doesn't see. The brain sees. The eye just transmits. So what we see isn't." determined by what comes through the eyes what we see is affected by our memories our feelings Mm. and by what we've seen before that's fucking fantastic and i think hearing is similar i'm not an ear doctor but let me go ahead and speak for the ear doctors it's got to be the same thing yeah i think it's similar because we're hearing things through our own experience and our own biases and this happens to me all the time where I hear someone talking and I kind of latch on to one thing that they say and then I don't listen to the rest and <laughs> right. um and I'm focused on that one thing yeah, yeah. and I may have missed 
like a clarification of that one thing that sure, they said, yeah, or yeah. I might have missed something else. But I'm so attached to that one little thing that I hang on to it yeah. and respond to it, you know. And I think that that can happen with the show as well. Well, ultimately, I th- I think that I'm I'm safe in this assumption that our audience knows that above all else, we're going to be advocating for victims. If there's a little bit of wiggle room here or there relative to how we do it, or whether we're we're advocating on behalf of other people who aren't in a powerful position, I think the audience knows where our hearts are. And uh, they're giving us the benefit of the doubt. But we love we love the pushback. We love the feedback, mm-hmm. of course. So thank you, Jen. We love you. We appreciate you. And also, thank you for sharing your story. Absolutely. Of trauma. Thank you for, I mean, the it would have been just as powerful having been anonymous. Mm-hmm. But there's something a little special about, uh, and vulnerable, Sharing your story, such a, a personal, um, tragic story. Yeah. In public. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we have a voicemail on the same matter. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. Uh, this is Rebecca from Atlanta. Uh, I wanted to comment on the Eugene Carroll clip you guys played, and I'll try to keep it under three minutes. I believe it matters the way you tell this kind of story when doing so in a public stage. I personally have experienced sexual assault. I was forcibly kissed and groped against my will in a confined space so I can relate to her recounting of events not knowing how to react in the moment. I was left dumbstruck after the fact, which my abuser found amusing as he laughed and invited me to lunch before my shift that day. When I told my friends about this in the several months after it occurred and said to them that I replied sure to his lunch invitation, I couldn't explain to them that I didn't know how to say no, that I couldn't tell him what he did was not okay. My friends blamed me for not being able to reject him, and I blamed myself. So I can empathize with Eugene Carroll when she states she felt foolish for following him into that dressing room. But she fails to make clear that it is not a person's fault for trusting another human to threat, to treat them with respect, and then being attacked. This conversation is somewhat heteronormative, but it is a perspective that women continue to struggle to get across to cis men who, in their position of privilege, don't know what it's like to constantly be forced to be paranoid and then be blamed for letting your guard down when you get hurt. I recently started reading Not That Bad by Roxane Gay and I've just started it but one of the book's purposes is to point out how victims of survivors of sexual assault have a bad habit of comparing their experiences saying things like well at least this didn't happen or at least it was over quick telling themselves it could have been worse. But not that bad is not good enough, and coping or encouragement of coping in this way ends up hurting more than helping us in the long run. All this to say, whether or not you believe you were criticizing Eugene Carroll, I don't blame you, because when you're sharing these experiences with so many people, coming forward with your story is simply not good enough anymore. Not to say it doesn't still take immense courage to do so in any setting, but when broadcasting, you should be mindful of the messages you are sending to those who have experienced the same or similar things, and to those who are trying to tell their stories as well. Thank you guys for having these discussions. It's never not important. Popeye is the best part. I have to say that uh, Rebecca knocked that shit out of the park. I think Rebecca might be the best part. I think so, too. Um, (laughs) She so eloquently summed up 
what I think I like fumbled through saying in like 10 minutes on the previous episode. <laughs> she did in under three minutes. Um, she looking for a job. I love that phrase. Not that bad is not good enough. Right. And I, I totally understand what she's saying because um, I've done that with my own trauma as well. Right. At least it wasn't this, you know, yeah. at, at least yeah. this didn't happen. Yeah, right? It yeah, could have been worse. Yeah, yes, this thing happened to me. Yeah. But, ah, uh, so thankful it wasn't this. Otherwise. Right. Yeah. And listen, if that's what you need to do to cope, then yes. Because that, I think that that was helpful to me at one point in time. Right? Thinking that. Yeah. Um, And I think there is something that is protective about that. Maybe it gives you space to not just break down absolutely yeah absolutely um and that doesn't mean that it will always be a belief that you have you know if you have it at one point in time or maybe you will you know who who the fuck knows but life is hard and whatever you need to get through it yeah do it i I also can i say Mm -hmm. um the thing about when rebecca said about not knowing how to say no Mm -hmm. i I get that Mm -hmm. i get that especially when you're already rattled by what just took place, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, um, I think there are there's a, a wide cross section of women who who can identify with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, not that bad is not good enough. I I really liked that phrase. Um, so thank you to Rebecca for calling in and sharing that perspective. That was that was really great. All right. So Laura also sent in a voice memo and actually touches on this same thing, which was really interesting about um, kind of minimizing traumas. Hey, guys, it's Laura from Buffalo. Uh, So I just wanted to talk about this advice columnist talking to Anderson Cooper. I can't remember her name um, and discuss kind of what I heard. So when I heard her saying how she didn't want to call it a rape and talking about sexual violence. And she started talking about how there's a lot of women around the world and different social strata and different places that experience sexual violence every day. What I heard her doing was minimizing her own trauma to make herself feel better Uh, And the reason why I heard her doing that, and that's what I got out of what she was saying, is because I do the same thing whenever I go through something terrible. Uh, Like when my father was sick last year and was in the ICU for two months and had all of these problems after a routine heart surgery, I kept minimizing it and I still to this day minimize it because he's still alive and I say well he doesn't have cancer you know he's not going to die right away a lot of people lose their parents when they're really young my father himself lost his dad when he was 17 so I'm really lucky and I don't really know why I do that I I guess I try to be gracious in the face of stuff like that when bad things are happening because I feel like for me at least dealing with things with gratitude that they aren't worse has helped me um and I don't know it's just a coping mechanism I picked up along the way um Brittany maybe you can tell me you know I don't know why that is but that is what I got from her that that's what she was doing, that she was saying, yes, I went through this, but I got through it. 
think about all the other women around the world who go through much worse ordeals. Um, I don't think she was trying to tell other people that their rape wasn't important, even if it was small and it was fast that, I don't know, that's just not what I got from it. But, uh, anyway, I hope you guys are going to keep discussing this because it's really interesting to me. Um, love you guys. Happy birthday to you both. <laughs> thank you, Laura. Um, Happy and, birthday. And thank you for this voicemail. And I think I heard you using your ticker there. Um, nah, you were at a turn. Your turn signal. Yeah. The rest of the world calls them turn the, signals. The ticker. I heard it. And um, <laughs> I just want to thank you for being someone who uses the ticker. Um, so I, yes, what you heard is what I heard. Um, I, I, I also heard her saying it wasn't that bad. And I, I recognize just like Rebecca said that this is a way that people cope. And I think Rebecca talked about, um, I believe Roxanne Gay's book. Is mm-hmm. that what she yeah, said? Yeah. yeah. That, um, this is kind of, um, I think she called it a bad coping skill. And I'll have to read the book because I wonder what Roxanne Gay's argument is there for it being, um, a bad coping skill. Maybe she just thinks it's not like a preferred one, you know, yeah, not necessarily yeah. bad, but when Laura said, well, what there it, are better ones when Laura said, what is this impulse? I would just say probably survival, yeah. you know, um, I, I'm thinking of a, this American life episode I recently listened to where, how dare you listen to other podcasts? I know. I'm sorry. I'm disgusting. This is the only podcast. Yeah, it's not. And, uh, <laughs> um, but one of the, I think he was a host. He actually was on the phone with somebody when he oh, got attacked. I listened to that one too. And the friend, God damn. the friend record started recording in case he would need like evidence. Yeah. And he got back on the phone and something that he kept saying over and over again. I'm okay. I'm okay. It could have been worse. Yeah. It could have been worse. Yeah. And he said that after he had had some time. He he doesn't even remember saying it. Right. He couldn't listen right away. But after he had some time, after being attacked, after his trauma, he listened to it. Some kids on the street, like, like beat him up and took his, like, uh, tried to take his backpack or something. Like beat him up though. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he got away and he wasn't seriously hurt. Um, but after he listened to the audio, like a few months later or whatever, he heard himself saying that phrase, it could have been worse. And he thought, I never say that. I'm not someone who says that. Yeah. But in that moment, it was something that he was needing to tell himself to stay calm. Self-defense. Right. Protection. It could have been worse. I'm okay. I'm not seriously hurt. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. Convincing himself of it. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think it's a very natural human impulse to do that, right? We compare ourselves to other people to try to reflect and think, look at how lucky I am. I'm going to be okay. I can overcome this, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's perfectly natural, perfectly fine. Um the thing is, though, and Laura used this phrase, quote, I don't think she was trying to tell other people their rape wasn't important. Or I, I don't know if she used the word important, but she certainly used that the rest of the phrase, except yeah, yeah. for important. I'm not sure if that's the word she yeah. used because I was typing as she was talking. Um, I don't think she was trying to tell other people anything about their rapes either. Again, what I was saying was that what she was saying about her own rape, that it was fast that she went on to have a happy life, that she's a fighter, all of these things, that someone might hear that and think, well, what the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah, so she might not be feeling she's transmitting that, but that very well could be and likely was received. Right. It might not have been tra- transmitted, but it was certainly received by people. Right, and I-, I will say, you know, I have had to do a lot of work because... 
of my my childhood trauma and i used to tell myself those things that you know god gave this to me because i was strong enough to handle it you know i used yeah. to tell myself that phrase that right. everyone uses and over time i it just it's just stopped working for me and i think that that's because well one i started to have some problems <laughs> yeah um and I, it, that wasn't a phrase that was useful to me anymore. You yeah. know, I couldn't just tell myself that phrase and be okay. I had to actually dive in deep and do some work. Do some work, I was going to say. And accept what happened, accept that it was bad, accept that, you know, it wasn't something that was handed to me because I could handle it. Right. You know, um, it was something that was happened to me because shit happens. Bad shit happens sometimes. And I, I really believe that people should do whatever works for them to cope as long as it doesn't hurt themselves, other people, or it's, it's not violent in any way, hurting yeah. other people's property. <laughs> also, I, this is something we've not talked about, but if you've gone through a trauma like this, don't try to self-medicate and self-soothe with these types of rationalizations. Go see someone. Initially, that's great, but you need to see someone who can help you work through this to really heal. Yeah, in a perfect world, that is what everyone would do. Now, that's not accessible for everybody. That's not... Yeah, that's true. Not everyone's ready for that. I mean, there's many factors that could play a role in that. You're right, you're right. Um, But, yeah, I mean... I'm glad that we're having this conversation um, because it gives us a chance to really explore all of the different ways that um, things are perceived, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah. And even through our, our different lenses based on our, our, our different experiences, you know? Um, so thank you to Jen, Rebecca, Laura. We really appreciate you guys being vulnerable, um, sharing your perspectives, sharing your stories, I mean, this is what life's about, man. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a douche, but um, I, I just, I am very moved by people who are willing to be vulnerable and open and talk about this stuff because this is the kind of stuff that matters. Um, so we just want to thank you guys for participating and, and being open and um, sending us your thoughts. Helping us move the conversation forward. Absolutely. All right. Well, the, listen, uh, the, the, we have one more call. We've, I think everybody's kind of apprised of the situation at the border. There's a lot of people who are wondering what to do. What do we do about this? How do I get involved? And we got a call on that very matter. Jesse and Brittany, Ryan Bell here. So my partner, Brooke, and I have been spending the last hour or two at our computers searching for what we can do to make a difference in this crisis at the border where children are being caged uh, along with their families and children are dying, uh, adults are dying, uh, they're not being provided the resources that they need. And what we're trying to find out is what we can do about it. And so far we're learning that we can donate, we can call our representatives. But what I'm really looking for is an opportunity to um do a, like, like a mass protest. So I'm wondering if you know of anything about that and what what you think we should be doing right now, practically speaking, to 
end this crisis at the border where children are being held in what I think are concentration camps. Thanks. And thanks, Jesse. And thanks, Brittany. Bye. So I know that Ryan said um, something practical. And I know that he kind of expressed a sentiment of not being super satisfied by contacting um, senators, contacting congresspeople. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it can seem like uh, your phone, no pun intended, but phoning it in. Yeah, but you know what? It's actually really important. And I, I think it is very practical, actually. Um, and I think... The problem is not enough people do it. And I think that 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 is because a lot of people are kind of freaked out about it. Not actually sure how it works. That's right. Yeah. Not actually sure what to do. So I think that something that may be helpful is, you know, Ryan Bell has quite the platform, sir. And he could (laughs) he could help his audience with contacting um, their senators, their congresspeople yeah. by putting up links for how to do that, giving information how to do that, maybe even giving them a script that they can use yes. when they call or when they send an email. And so just in case you want to send a message, um, if you want to contact your representative, you can go to house.gov slash representative, enter your zip code where it says find your representative. Um, same thing for the Senate, um, senate.gov, use find your senators. Um, in the pull down menu to find your senator and you can just send a message, you know, like they have a contact form. Yeah. This is my name. I'm a constituent in town or city. Yeah. I've read about what the migrant children are going through with border patrol and the camps at the border. No good. Make it stop. Do something with the lawmakers, you know, type out a message about what you want them to know about your thoughts and send it. Um, and you can call. You can call every day. Just keep calling. <laughs> well, it, let me tell you how to call. One time, uh, the White House, their 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 uh, public um, recording line uh, for for complaints or whatever mm-hmm. was uh, taken offline. And I did a video where I got in front of the camera, I got to the microphone, and I called do, 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 the, the White House. I did it on the phone on the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to do that for this, but if you want to call um, your congress, your congressperson in the House, uh, it is 202-225-3121. An operator will answer the phone. You tell them who your congressperson is. They will connect you. And then, like an intern, your congressperson's not going to answer the phone. <laughs> but an intern, mm-hmm. a young girl or young guy will answer the phone, and they'll say, Congressman, Congressman Harley Ruda's office, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And you say, I would like to get my voice on the record. Mm-hmm. All right, what is your issue? And you fucking tell them what your deal is. That's it. If you want to call the Senate, I'll give both numbers. The Senate is 202-224-3121. The House is 202-225-3121. You have these numbers memorized? I used to work there. They've been the same this whole time? Yes. Why haven't they changed their numbers? <laughs> Why would this Don't switch? they get harassment <laughs> phone calls? Of course they do. You know, That's what they're there for. I don't think you're telling people how it actually happens. I think that when they call, regardless <laughs> of what number they call, call, regardless of who they're contacting, that Elizabeth Warren answers the phone. And she's, she goes, let me tell you my fucking plan yeah. for fixing this shit. <laughs> <laughs> she's fielding all of the phone calls. Yeah, even if you call the House of Representatives, yes. Elizabeth Warren yeah, answers the phone. Yeah, she's just there. It just dials right to her fucking yeah, cell phone. It's crazy. <laughs> 
Um, but listen, if that's not good enough for you, we'll get to Ryan's idea about protesting in a second here. Um, but you can also donate to the organizations that are providing legal services yeah. to help and reunite families um, or that are fighting the policies that have actually led to the family separations. Um, there are many things that you can do here. Uh, Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services, the ACLU, um, Immigrant Families Together, Kids in Need of Defense. There's different ones. Yeah. Okay. I think the ACLU would be a bang-up organization because they, they're taking this shit to court a lot. Yeah. And that's that's how shit's going to change. Yeah. And you also, you've been seeing those articles about um, how people tried to bring diapers and other supplies to the border and they yeah, were turned away. That's right. And people were really upset by that. And the reason is because, well, it's similar to how the, remember the GoFundMe for the wall? It's similar to why that didn't work yeah. out. The government can't, like, accept private donations well imagine some some nut who puts some kind of a poison inside of diapers and then gives them and then something happens there's a statutory prohibition against that there has to be and there's a reason for it we just don't think we don't think about it in the moment that there there is actually a good reason behind that Mm -hmm. yeah um it's just like you know you can't donate money to the government for specific things that's right you know they do with your money what they want yeah it would just go yeah. to the government that's and right. then <laughs> they decide what to do with it can, can i talk about the protest thing real quick yeah so go ahead so i think look i would i would take part i wouldn't you go, go out there if there was an organized march I don't know that I would drive down to the border and do a protest because unless there are cameras there, unless there is a media presence there broadcasting what is happening Mm. and getting people to change their hearts and minds about the matter and get fired up about it, I don't know that it would have much effect. So contact, we would have to contact some kind of an organization and Mm. I would be happy to to, to join with Ryan to do this. And find out what kind of a national organization is. Look, there's a tax march. There's all kinds of marches mm-hmm. to oppose Donald Trump and his policies. This seems like something that would be a good match for something like that. Yeah. So um, I will call Ryan. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow I will call Ryan. Or Monday I will call Ryan. Mm-hmm. We'll get something figured out. Yeah. Sounds like a good time. Mm-hmm. Thanks, brother. We appreciate you calling. Uh, I think we have one more email. We do. It's related to the first of the Democratic debates. Oh, which will be what we cover next. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys. Sorry in advance if this email comes off as me just rambling away. I just really wanted to share some thoughts I had of the debate while it's still fresh in my mind. I believe it was episode 521 where you were mentioning some apprehensions you had about how night one would go, especially considering how you have Elizabeth Warren being grouped together with the little guys. I was guilty of honestly only really knowing Warren when going in for tonight's debate. And while I do feel like the moderators did ask her and call on her a lot more than some of the other candidates, now thinking back, they really only focused primarily on like three or four of them. I can say I came out with a greater interest in Cory Booker and especially Julian Castro. 10 seemed to be too much. 10 seemed to be much too big a number for one night. I was really wishing to hear more from Jay Inslee about the wage gap and what he was going to do with unions, as well as just hearing more from Tulsi Gabbard. Everything seemed too short for me, and just nobody had enough time, it seemed. Anywho, was there a particular candidate you wanted to hear more from tonight or a certain issue you wish they touched deeper on? All the best, Crystal. Crystal, thank you for the email. Um... 
I think we have one more before we will group. We'll read both emails about the debates and then we'll uh, answer the question. Yeah, because we also have one from Frank. Um, first, I'd like to say that I'm not a Biden fan, nor is he on my radar. After last night's debate, media outlets are focusing on his record on race. While this is a very important issue, Stephen Miller is in the White House helping to create policy. Every Democrat is better on race than this administration, so we're only hurting our cause. Also, we know that Democrats are tougher on guns than the Repubs, but instead of calling for universal background checks, which is where they win, they start talking about bans, buybacks, and confiscating guns. Um, did you did you hear them talking about confiscating guns? Not confiscation, but definitely buyback. Okay. Swalwell specifically talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he continues, America is full of gun nuts, and we give the NRA and Republicans the win when we talk like that. We need to focus on income inequality, affordable health care for all, and a return to respectful, intelligent leadership. I feel that focusing on issues where we have the greatest resistance instead of issues in which we share the most common ground is a losing formula. Let's not snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory again. Love the show. Um, Frank, listen, I am i don't want to ever get trapped in a situation where there's not enough bandwidth to talk about everything. We don't want to limit ourselves to the number of topics because they're winners and the other ones are tough to talk about. We want to be the party that's wonky. We want to be the party that addresses the tough issues. Um, But I don't disagree. It's going to be tough. But just because it's going to be tough, I don't think we should uh, cut ourselves off at the knees to try to really find the easy route. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, I I also... um, This idea that the Trump administration is going to be worse on race than the Democrats doesn't mean that there isn't an important conversation to have about past records of certain candidates. Yeah, which we're for sure going to get into. We've got clips. Right. And this is actually the time to bring that stuff up because it's going to be used against those people. But in the future, coming from Trump. And not in honest ways either. They've already started their underhanded bullshit. Absolutely. Um, And I also, I'm nervous about you using the word confiscation because that wasn't used. And in fact, um, I think that that they went out of their way uh, to say that, that it's not about taking guns away. Um, I heard that at least twice. I, I think Swalwell specifically who talked about this said, you keep your rifles, you keep your pistols. I mean, you it's, it's weapons of war that we don't want on the streets. Yeah. yeah. So, so if they are not literally using that word, we don't want to be using that. Yeah, word. We don't put that out there and let them take, take, take hold of that. Yeah. As far as the first night is concerned. Um, listen, Everybody was really unhappy with the format, but there's no other format to use when you have 10 motherfuckers on the stage. You know what I mean? There's just, it just, it, it's, it's kind of going to be a scrum. It was very frustrating at times. Some of that I left into some of these clips just to demonstrate if you didn't watch the debates of how much chaos was going on at certain points. But uh, just, uh. Well, should they have made the criteria more difficult then? Uh, not in the beginning. No. Now, as it goes on, if you're not picking up steam, then you got to get the fuck out. Mm hmm. You know, guys like Tim Ryan need to get out of there. I th- I think he's a great uh, congressman. Mm. But, uh, you know, come on, man. Yeah. The, 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 the king of the hill guy. Delaney. Delaney. He needs to get out of there. Yeah. You're pulling at one or under 1%, 2%, under 5%. Mm-hmm. Go back to your job. Keep your head down and fucking push ahead. 
kick ass as yeah. a congress as a representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't. Come on, you don't need to be clouding the, the 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 debate stage when there is only so much that can be heard and said. Absolutely, in an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, or an, uh, you know, one hundred and twenty minutes. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. Thanks for the thanks for the calls. Thanks for the emails. Thanks for all of the communication. We appreciate it very much. And we'd love to hear from you. If you have not called into the show, if you are a regular listener or a first-time listener, we want to hear from you. We, we want to have you get your voice. Help us move the conversation forward. All these opinions are valuable. 657-464-7609. Again, 657-464-7609. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Judy. Judy. Judy, thank you so much Our for your latest, beautiful support of the show. La- latest Patreon What do you? What supporter. are you, one of the men at the debate right now? Yes. Mr. Interrupt over here. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Todd, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Todd, <laughs> Chuck Todd. Yeah. Chuck, Chuck Todd. Yeah. Chuck. Is, is his name Chuck Todd? Chuck Todd. Did he moderate the debate? No. I just like saying Chuck Todd. <laughs> okay. Um, He's a sleepy eyed son of a bitch. Yeah. Thank you for uh, supporting the show. Everybody in whatever way you choose to do that, whether you do it on Patreon, whether you do it on PayPal, yeah. whether you do it by shopping on Amazon through the dollamore.com slash Amazon link that is no longer on the website because... Um, Our mis- new and improved website. Yes, Mr. Bezos got very upset. Very upset. Um, Called me, left me a very hateful message. Yes, yes. and uh, No dick pic, though. That's good. That's nice. Very helpful. <laughs> because, you know, the, the dick pic controversy i heard about it yeah Yeah, just like briefly heard about it (laughs) don't know about it in detail but yeah um also if you want to rate and review the show profanity free reviews definitely required um but hey if what you do to support the show is listen to it that means a hell of a lot right there goddamn good enough um and hey if you've been listening to us from day one and you're still here we love you very much. Glutton for punishment. We love you very much. <laughs> How much dumbness have you seen? Oh, wow. Quite a bit. You probably heard more than you saw. Well. It is a podcast after all. I forgot. Speaking of dumbness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Got caught right in a so dumbness trap. <laughs> good. All right. We love you guys. Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So speaking of dumbness traps, <laughs> and this is a little bit, not a critique, but just acknowledging that, you know, 10, ten like we just said, 10, ten, ten candidates on a stage and trying to, it's like trying to herd cats or something, uh, wrangle, mm-hmm. wrangle snakes or something that's very difficult to do, I mm-hmm, guess is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, uh, we only have two clips from the first debate because it was far less eventful. 
yeah, than well, the second night. Well, let's say who was in the first debate, and I'm going to read these in order of um, speaking time. Oh, that's a great way to do it. Yeah, so starting from the most speaking time to the least speaking time, in the first debate we had Cory Booker, Beto O'Rourke. I struggle so badly to say his name. Beto. I said Beto, right? I know, you okay. did. You did it right. Um, Elizabeth Warren, Julian Castro, Amy Klobuchar, Tim Ryan, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, Bill de Blasio, and they only have the last names here, so I knew all the other first names, but is it Jay Inslee? Jay Inslee, all governor right. of Washington. There we go. And that's it? Yes. Oh, Jay That's Inslee. it. What, there should be more? No, no, no. I wasn't counting as you went along. I thought they had more people they only put the last name of. Okay, so I read Cory Booker's name first. That means he had the most talking time. He clocked in at 11 minutes and 6 seconds. Hmm. And then you heard um, Inslee at the bottom there. And he had 5 minutes and 5 seconds at the debate. Those are larger numbers than for the second. Those are uh, fewer numbers for the top person and... A lot larger numbers for the bottom person than the second night. Yeah, we'll get to that when yeah. we talk about the second night. Good idea. I'll shut the fuck up. Yeah. So, so <laughs> there was really, really there wasn't a lot of uh, bang up. You know, like oh my god, the fireworks are really happening. Yeah. In fact, when the it was like they're they're just getting warmed up and they're they're really they're, the nerves were there and mm-hmm. um like even the first question that I think went to Elizabeth Warren. She fucking didn't answer. She like gave this some weird media answer, and I was mm-hmm. very disappointed. Mm-hmm. But then, as it got ro- rolling along, mm-hmm. everybody got their sea legs under them, and they they were they were doing well. Yeah. But there were a couple of moments that stuck out to me and 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 Brittany, and that we're going to talk about those. And the first one is it starts with Elizabeth Warren talking about Medicaid for all and how healthcare is a it's a human right, and then it shifts. In the same segment, it shifts to Beto O'Rourke, who used to be all on board running for Senate, Medicare for all. And now he's fucking like nebulous guy. Like, yeah, I'm kind of for it. At the beginning of the answer, I thought he was for it. And then by the end, you realize, no, he's not. Mm -hmm. He's just all over the fucking map. Well, he said, well, what he said is that we need to preserve choice um, and that he thinks choice is fundamental. Right, which is not what he said when he ran for Senate. Right. Which is why I like I was really on board with uh, the Beto. During the Senate run. During the Senate run, yeah. Was, this guy's inspirational and he's great. Now he's kind of, I don't want to call him mealy-mouthed, but he's certainly... Concerned about what will what what it takes to get elected. His yeah his his <laughs> his positions are migrating. Mm-hmm. We'll just say that. What's most popular? Absolutely, Senator Warren. You signed on to Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan. It would put essentially everybody on Medicare and then eliminate private plans that offer similar coverage. Is that the plan or path that you would pursue as president? So yes, I'm with Bernie on Medicare for All, and let me tell you why. I spent a big chunk of my life studying why families go broke. And one of the number one reasons is the cost of health care, medical bills. And that's not just for people who don't have insurance. It's for people who have insurance. Look at the business model of an insurance company. It's to bring in as many dollars as they can in premiums and to pay out as few dollars as possible for your health care. That leaves families with rising premiums, rising co-pays, and fighting with insurance companies to try to get the health care that their doctors say that they and their children need. Medicare for all solves that problem. And I understand 
There are a lot of politicians who say, oh, it's just not possible. We just can't do it. It's have a lot of political reasons for this. What they're really telling you is they just won't fight for it. Well, health care is a basic human right, and I will fight for basic human <laughs> rights. Congressman, Congressman O'Rourke, when you ran for Senate, you also praised a bill that would replace private insurance. This year, you're saying you're no longer sure. Can you explain why? My goal is to ensure that every American is well enough to live to their full potential because they have health care. In Laredo, Texas, I met a young man, 27 years old, told me that he'd been to a doctor once in his life. And on that visit, he was told he had diabetes, he was told he had glaucoma, and he was told untreated because he doesn't have health care, he'll be dead before the age of 40. So getting to guaranteed, high-quality, universal health care as quickly and surely as possible has to be our goal. The ability to afford your prescriptions and go to a primary care provider, the ability to see a mental health care provider. In Texas, the single largest provider of mental health care services is the county jail system today. And health care also has to mean that every woman can make her own decisions about her own body and has access to the care that makes that possible. Our plan says that if you're uninsured, we enroll you in Medicare. If you're insufficiently insured, you can't afford your premiums, we enroll you in Medicare. But if you're a member of a union that negotiated for a health care plan that you like because it works for your you time is and up. your family, you're able to keep it. We preserve choice by making sure t- that everybody t- has time is up, Congressman. But I do want to ask a follow-up on this one. Just to, be, just to be very clear, I'll give you 10 seconds. Would you replace private insurance? No, I, I think that choice is is fundamental hey, wait, to wait, our ability to get Lord, everybody yeah, care Lord, for. Private insurance is not working for tens of millions of Americans. When you talk about the co-pays, the deductibles, the premiums, the out-of-pocket expenses, it's not working. <coughs> that's How right. can you so, defend so for those system that's not working? working they can choose Medicare. For the culinary workers in you Nevada who I listen to, who negotiated the system is for not those working plans, for people, uh, they're able to keep them. So I know that you shot me a look when I made my noise into the mic when Beto started talking about the uh, 27 did. year old that he met. I did. I just, <sighs> that's a pet peeve of yours. Well, no, it just sometimes like, it, ah, I got this letter that our well, six year old wrote to me and it's such a touching thing. Let me read it to you. It just is something that is strange to me. Although I know it is something they have to do because they have to connect. And oftentimes telling a story is the way to really ratchet up the empathy that people will feel yeah. to resonate with their answer. Like I understand what they're doing and I know that it's important, but sometimes it just comes across as disingenuous. You know, yeah, I don't know that how important it is, but it's effective. That's why they do it. Yeah, well, yeah. that's why I'm saying it's important because it's effective. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, in raising the empathy that people feel because they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I have an uncle that's in that same situation, and yeah, it could be him. You know, you you make a personal connection to it. Yeah. So so I don't know. We could talk about met healthcare on another show in a little bit more detail, but and I'm not an expert on this matter, but one of the deals with with uh, like. Uh, like why you need, if we're going to do something with healthcare, we need to do it all the fucking way. You can't, well, some of you could be out of private healthcare plan and then all these other people are going to put on Medicare. That's not how it fucking works. You need large pools of people to bring down the costs because the healthy people pay for the sick people with premiums. That's how it fucking works. Now, listen, I, I will admit that we're going to have to go through some seismic changes 
with how we deal with with healthcare in America if we're going to go to a Medicare for all system. Because as it stands now, people on Medicare don't get good coverage. The doctors don't give a fuck because they're not getting paid as much as their real insurance customers. I go to the VA, which is government health care, and I'm treated like a fucking cow, like a number, like I'm a herd in a, in a, I have a fucking punch in my ear. I have to wait months, months for appointments when I am in pain. When I say, can I get something for my pain? They say, oh, no, I have to refer you to the sports medicine clinic. I won't give you pain medicine. I'll prescribe you ibuprofen. And I'm not saying that's everyone's experience. I'm for Medicare for all. But we're going to have to seismically change and shift our paradigm about what is expected from government-provided services if we do that. Well, and I, I want to also kind of speak to what Frank said, right? We're all Democrats. Um, yeah, but everyone on the stage was a Democrat, but there are... Wildly different perspectives. Yeah, there are very different views that we have yeah. here. So the candidates were asked, right, just to w- raise their hand, which I thought this was a very effective way of asking questions yeah. because they tried to do this like one or two answer thing. And it turned into one or two paragraphs. Yeah, you yeah. can't say okay, one word, one word. No one was doing that. And then what happens is the first candidate doesn't do it. And so the second one is like, well, fuck the rules. I'm going to do what <laughs> they just did, you know? Um, so they said, candidates, raise your hand if you are in favor of abolishing private health insurance in favor of a government run plan yeah. medicare for all elizabeth warren bill de blasio the only ones that raised their hands um tulsi gabbard said that if you look to other countries in the world that have universal health care that they all have some role for private health insurance that's one reason that she is not for abolishing well, it listen you don't have to outlaw private insurance it's just everybody's paying into the fucking government deal it doesn't make illegal, I don't believe, private health insurance companies. It's just you're also going to be paying into the system for the for the Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's the way I understand it anyway. Yeah. So, um, like you said, we're not experts on this, yeah. but um, we would appreciate listeners writing in and, and giving us our perspective. What do you think? Are you in favor of abolishing private health insurance in favor of the government run plan do you think that there's a role for private insurance with medicare for all are you against medicare for all whatever your opinion is um send us a voice memo an email um make sure you tell us why you have that position what is the information that swayed you uh is there statistics that you can provide what is it uh we'd love to hear from you 657-464-7609 or i doubt it at dollamore.com you know there is something to be said though for for that logic that elizabeth warren used mm-hmm. which is the, the the goal of an insurance company a private insurance company is to charge you as high a premiums as they can and then pay out as few dollars as possible so they can make a profit. Profitizing people's lives and health care, it's very, very murky territory. Mm-hmm. And I think that needs to be analyzed. That needs to be put into the equation because what happens when when companies put profits, which that is what they do. They have a fiduciary. They have a duty to their shareholders mm-hmm. to make as much money as possible. It's it's tough territory, you yeah. know? Yeah. Anyway, uh 
The other thing that happened that night, also, if you call in or, or, or write in, I should have prefaced the entire thing with this. You're going to hear criticisms of your person. Mm-hmm. I just criticized my person, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. She, your, your current top favorite. Yeah, she right now, she's my favorite. Mm-hmm. She fucked up the first answer. Maybe the second. She she wasn't great mm-hmm. to begin in the, in the beginning. Yeah. That's that's a criticism. Mm-hmm. So Beto, he bums me out because I used to really be, have a strong feeling for him. Mm-hmm. And he's bumming me out. Yeah. So when you hear a criticism, don't just fucking turn us off. I mean, if you do, great. That You know, it's a bummer. But, you know. You're, you're waving your hand you're around gonna, a you're lot. You're going to fucking do what you're going to do. I feel like your hand is speaking a lot, but we can't hear the words that it's saying. I'm trying to make like <laughs> noises. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm just saying there's this is Are a you long, just saying I'm just saying. Yeah. It's a long campaign. No, I hate it when it's said at the end of a sentence. Oh, okay. But Not you can say beginning. it in the beginning. Okay. How fucking dare beginning you? Beginning and middle is okay. End of the sentence, no good on just the just saying. saying. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> All I'm saying is, how about that? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> is that there is a long campaign season ahead of us. There is. All of these candidates, mm-hmm. maybe with the exception of Tim Ryan, <laughs> would wow, be you great. really have it out for that guy. No, I don't. I just think he should drop out. <laughs> uh, they're they're, they're going to be great. They're, they'd be they'd be far better than what we have. But yeah. that shouldn't be the metric by which no, we pick no, our no, president. No, no, well, no. it's better than Donald Trump. Yeah, that's. I mean, we might as well be this guy. Donald Trump, baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Joe Biden, baby. Mm-hmm. Any core Booker bitches on here? Oh Jesus! Nobody wants to be that guy. <laughs> oh my god so anyway yeah you're gonna hear criticisms that's all i'm saying we belabored this too much by we i mean me next up is a, an exchange on the first night between uh julian castro who did a great fucking job he really did he he Very showed impressive. up yeah if anybody rose above the expectations for sure it was him yeah uh and if anybody sunk below them it was for sure Beto. so this is this is about the border and Beto, who is really speaking in a lot of platitudes and generalities about what we need to do, this is where we need... He's identifying the problem and not giving a solution to the problem. And Julian Castro, Julian Julian, I'm going with Julian, we're just going to stick with that. Uh, it's because you don't know what he... I don't know how... I hear both, oh, so okay. I'm just going with Julian, because okay. it's more comfortable, because I don't speak Spanish and I'm a dumb guy. Okay. So... He cuts him off at the knees, but we'll let you hear it. But it's about the specifics of legislation, the specifics of a bill of criminalizing crossing the border. Because as it stands now under the law, being in the country illegally is not a crime. There is no statute that you're breaking the law by being here illegally. However, entering the country illegally is a crime. We won't get all these reforms people are talking about. That's what Thank we you. need to do as Democrats. So we have to get to white people. Are if I could, I'm sorry. Oh, Congressista O'Rourke, ¿qué haría usted en el primer día si usted es presidente sobre esta realidad que está ocurriendo? What would you do, Congressman, day one at the White House? Vamos a tratar cada persona con el respeto y dignidad que merecen como humanos. We would not turn back Valeria and her father, Oscar. We would accept them into this country and follow our own asylum laws. We would not build walls. We would not put kids in cages. In fact, we would spare well, no expense to reunite the families a lot of that have been families. separated 
already. Congressman, and we would not criminally prosecute any family because who is fleeing violence for the repeal and of persecution. Section 1325. We would make sure. Secretary, let him finish, and I will give you this policy. But let him finish. Let him finish, please. Yes. We would not detain any family fleeing violence, in fact, fleeing the deadliest countries on the face of the planet today. We would implement a family case management program so they could be cared for in the community at a fraction of the cost. And then we would rewrite our immigration laws in our own image. Free dreamers forever from any fear of deportation by making them U.S. citizens here in this country. Invest in solutions in Central America. Work with regional stakeholders so there's no reason to make Thank that 2,000-mile journey to but this we country. Have Secretary, I'll give you 30 seconds. Let's be very clear. The reason that they're separating these little children from their families is that they're using Section 1325 of that act, which criminalizes coming across the border, to incarcerate the, pre- the parents and then separate them. Some of us on this stage have called to end that section, to terminate it. Some, like Congressman O'Rourke, have not. And I want to challenge all of the candidates In to fact. do that. I, I just think it's a mistake, Bethel. I think it's a mistake. And I think that, that if you truly want to change the system, then we got to repeal that section. If not, Thank you. then it so might as well be the same policy. policy. Let me very very respond to this very briefly. Actually, were... as a member of Congress, I helped to introduce legislation that would ensure that we don't criminalize those who are seeking asylum and refuge I'm in this country. If you're about, fleeing, if you're fleeing desperation, asylum, then I'm I want to make about, sure I'm I want to make sure that you're treated else. with respect. I'm still talking about everybody but, else. But you're looking at just one small part of this. I'm talking about a comprehensive rewrite of our immigration that's laws. That's not true. And if we do that, I don't think it's asking too much for people I'm talking about laws. I'm talking about millions of folks. A lot of folks that are coming are not seeking asylum. A lot of them are undocumented immigrants, right? And you said recently that the reason you didn't want to repeal Section 1325 was because uh, you were concerned about human trafficking and and drug trafficking. But let me tell you what: Section 18, uh, Title 18 of the U.S. Code. Title 21 and Title 22 already cover if human trafficking. I think that you should do your homework we're going on to this make issue. Sure that they're if you did your homework on this issue, you would know that we should repeal this Why, section. This is an issue that we should and could be talking about for a long time, and we will. That's kind of a taste of the scrum that took place, the, the, the binding up of people trying to talk over one another. But that was a great moment for Julian Castro, mm-hmm. and one that kind of convinced me. Because I have, I, I can kind of understand someone's take that, look, you have to have, be able to have control over who comes into your country. Mm-hmm. And, and I was thinking, yeah, well, why shouldn't it be? The difference is between a criminal offense and a civil offense. If you can make it a civil offense and not have it be a crime, that would then justify you from separating a family like Donald Trump is doing right now. Also, the fact that, like he said, Title 18, Title 21, all these other, all these other, um, sections of the United States Code already cover those other things that he's worried about. An additional law does nothing. So I was, uh, I was, uh, pleasantly surprised. I shouldn't have been pleasantly surprised. He was a former cabinet member. The guy knows what he's fucking doing. Um, smart. Mm-hmm. Did a good job. Yeah. I also want to say, um, because I made a comment about you interrupting me and being like the men at the debate. And I, I don't want people to think that I literally only think men were interrupting at the debate. But as you heard in that clip there, there were two women on stage during this debate. Did you hear any of their voices no. during those interruptions? No, you did not. Um, in fact, Elizabeth Warren was very quiet 
patiently waiting her turn. Yeah. Um, I don't really know if Amy Klobuchar was also taking that approach. I think that she was. It seemed to me. Um, and it just seemed like the men were a little bit more quick to yeah. jump in and interrupt and steal time. And I think that that is largely because uh, that's more acceptable, typically, from men. And when women do that, they're viewed as aggressive. And yeah. uh, you actually saw some of those responses to Kamala Harris in the second debate, where she was a little bit more assertive, and people were tweeting asking, is she being too aggressive? Yeah, it's unbelievable. But people weren't tweeting about Bill de Blasio saying, is Bill de Blasio being too aggressive? Right, from Standing f- there yelling at the end of the stage. Off in the wings, just screaming into the air. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. John Delaney did the same fucking thing. Yeah, and no one's like, oh, this, this guy. He, he's being so aggressive. Right. He needs to tone it down. Wait till you're called on, little guy. <laughs> just wait. <laughs> we'll get to you, sir. That's what they kept saying. We'll get to you in a moment. You're going to love this. Yeah. That's what they kept saying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got a good one for oh, you. Oh, it's coming up. <laughs> they were they were treating him like kids. <laughs> right. We have a treat for you. Just give us oh, a few minutes. this question's going to be just fucking bananas for you. <laughs> you're going to eat it up. So, so the second night, the second night, let's start with Eric Swalwell. So that's what we've been talking well, about. Well, no, him. we're going to do who was in the second debate and we're going to do the same thing by time. God damn it, you're right. So I'm going to read the person that had the most speaking time down to the person who had the least speaking time, okay? I tell you what, why don't we do this? Why don't you list the people who were at the debate and then in order of how long they spoke from most to least. How about we do that? That's what we're doing. What? No. I just came up with that idea. Okay. (laughs) All right. So Joe Biden was at the top with 13 minutes and 19 seconds. Yeah. Then we had Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders, uh, Michael Bennett, right? Michael? <laughs> yeah, They're only right. showing me the last name. So, yeah. I, okay. Um, Kirsten Gillibrand. Yes. John Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper. Marianne Williamson. Yeah. Eric Swalwell. <laughs> Marianne Williamson. And Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. And you were correct that the division of time here was a little bit more unequal among the candidates than the yeah. first night because you actually had three candidates here who um, whose times were below five minutes. Yeah. Andrew and Yang was like two and a half minutes or something. Two minutes and 58 seconds. Yeah. Fewer than three minutes. That Almost is insane. Almost made it to three minutes. Yeah. yeah. And you know what he talked about for those three minutes? Foreign policy. He got really into the weeds with foreign policy. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, he didn't. He talked about his $1,000 stipend. No, he actually did talk about foreign policy for a little bit. They they have this chart here broken oh, really? down into topics of what they spoke about as well. Yeah. How long um, did you talk about that? Like 15 seconds? Um, I mean, it's hard to tell with this graph because he spoke for such a you know limited amount of time. It's just so tiny. Um, you need a magnifying glass. But you are correct in that most of what he spoke about was about the economy. Yeah. 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 Um, but then you had Eric Swalwell, who spoke for four minutes and 43 seconds. So are we going to play his entire spoken period? No, he just the reason I the reason I'm going to play some Swalwell here. Also, is who is he? Tell everyone who he is. He's a California congressman. OK, he's on the intelligence committee. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a smart guy. He's a young guy. Yeah, he's he's just older than Pete Buttigieg. Here's what I'll say that I liked about Eric Swalwell. He was also standing toward the end of the stage. So the more important candidates or the ones that are pulling higher were in the middle. Yeah, he wasn't on the wings like de Blasio. Yeah, but he was out there. Yeah, he was. And what I liked about Eric Swalwell, although he was an interrupter and forcing himself into the conversation, he was doing it in a way that was pushing certain issues to the forefront. Because he wasn't interrupting to talk to the moderators. Right. He was burning... 
candidates. But yeah, I don't mean burning like Bernie. No. I mean he was like give, given uh he was given hell to the other candidates about their kind of like Julian Castro just did. Yes. Yeah. Exactly like that. Mm-hmm. In this first exchange that we're going to play, he's not interrupting. He's actually talking about um well, he's he's kind of taking a swipe at Biden about his age, but he's using Biden's own words, his own philosophy from years ago against him. Many Americans are worried that things like self-driving cars, robots, drones, artificial intelligence will cost them their jobs. What would you do to help people get the skills they need to adapt to this new world? We must always be a country where technology creates more jobs than it displaces. And I've seen the anxiety across America where the manufacturing floors go from 1,000 to 100 to 1. So we have to modernize our schools, value the teachers who prepare our kids, wipe the student debt from any teacher that goes into a community that needs it, invest in America's communities, especially where places where the best exports are people who move away to get skills. But Jose, I was six years old when a presidential candidate came to the California Democratic Convention and said, it's time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans. That candidate was then Senator Joe Biden. (laughs) Joe Biden was right when he said it was time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans 32 years ago. He's still right today. If we're going to solve the issues of automation, pass the torch. If we're going to solve the issues of climate chaos, pass the torch. If we're going to solve the issue of student loan debt, Pass the torch. If we're going to end gun violence for families who are fearful of sending their kids to school, pass the torch. Vice President, would you like to sing a torch song? I would. (laughs) I'm still holding on to that torch. I want to make it clear to you. Look, the fact of the matter is we have to do is make sure that everybody is prepared better to go on to educate for an education. The fact is that that's why I propose us focusing on schools that are in distress. That's why I think we should triple the amount of money we spend for Title I schools. That's why I think we should have universal pre-K. That's why I think every single person who graduates from high school, 65 out of 100 now, need something beyond high school. And we should provide for them to be able to get that education. That's why there should be free community college, cutting in half the cost of college. That's why we should be in a position where we do not have anyone have to pay back a student debt when they get out. They're making less than $25,000 a year. Their debt is frozen, no interest payment until they get beyond that. We can't put people in a position where they aren't able to go on and move on. And so, folks, there's a lot we can do, but we have to make continuing education available for everyone so that everyone can compete in the 21st century. We're not doing that now. Senator Sanders. As the youngest, as the youngest guy on the stage, I feel like I probably it's ought to contribute of, to the generation. It's part of Joe's generation. I'm all for it. Part of Joe's generation. Okay. Let before, me respond. Before we move the on issue, if I may say, is not generational. Let's, please, please. Yeah. The Senator issue Sanders, is and I'll not let generational. You, I, we the will. issue is who has the guts comment, to take on Wall Street? I left that extra little bit in there because just Why? to give you, again, give you the flavor of fucking chaos when mm-hmm. there's 10 people on stage. Yeah. That's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Well, everyone's trying to get in their, their points. Can I, let me say this. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of Joe Biden in the race. I think Joe Biden's a, he's an okay guy. He was a great vi- pre- vice president. You don't have to do shit as vice president. You know, you're, <laughs> that was all you good. have to do is serve as the butt of Joe. That was kind of a backhanded compliment. He was a great vice president. Well, you don't have, you to, don't do have to do shit as yeah, a vice president. You know, he didn't fuck it up. He wasn't a Cheney. You know what I mean? Yeah. He didn't fuck up the things that he didn't you have, have to do. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to do anything. Yeah, you know, yeah. You go to fucking birthday parties and funerals and shit. 
So, you tweet best friend bracelets yeah, with you and Barack. That's right. That's right. You, yeah. you jog along in like little Twitter videos. Lick ice cream cones and look real cool. Yeah. You yeah. hang out. Good time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, listen, he would be obviously better than Trump. But again, that's not the bar I think we should have. And if you listen to those answers, we should focus on this. We should universal. We should any person making below 25000 which is below the poverty line, should have their student loans frozen. Until they make more than that, then they can start paying them back. He's he's Republican light with all this stuff. He doesn't want to take the power away from the banks to still make money off students. He only wants to make community college free. Why not make all of college public institutions free of charge like every other country that is beginning to surpass us in technology and economics? It's not a socialist idea. If that's a socialist idea to make college free, then why the fuck are we giving away high school? We should be charging for that too. I don't see a difference. And as far as his answer, 32 years ago, he said, we need to pass the torch to the next generation. And he's asked, well, what about that? Well, I'm still carrying the torch. I'm not going to let it go. He might as well just say, well, I was lying back then. That was just fancy, flowery language to get people fired up. I wasn't ready to give it away, just like I'm not now, as a 74-year-old man. Eh. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that would have gone over very well. He needs to get out of the fucking race. He also didn't do well in this debate. He as did we'll not get do well. to as we'll get to in a minute. And we've gone so long now. I wanted to end this talking about reparations, but we're not going to get there. We're going to have to push that for next time. So, in advance of that, I still want to we haven't gotten anything on that topic. Well, can I just I want to back up before you do that really quick. All right. Really really quick. Because you just said that Joe Biden didn't do well in the race. And I just want to say that that's not just your personal opinion. Um Olivia Newsy, reporter, tweeted after the debate, quote, a source close to the Biden campaign tells me his staff is, quote, freaking out about his poor performance tonight. The source said that internally, field staff says the campaign organized debate watch parties in early voting states have been, quote, awkward and that Biden isn't playing well to those who attended. According to Biden's staff, he isn't listening to his debate prep and he's, quote, set in his ways. The source close to the campaign tells me. You mean like a guy who won't apologize for anything he's ever done, any position he's ever held, any vote he's ever made? You mean that? That guy is set in his ways? That's very very strange. I wouldn't have thought that. (laughs) Do you need boots? Because the sarcasm's getting waiter boot high in here. (laughs) So let's do another Swalwell clip first Mm -hmm. before we get to the last one with uh, Kamala Harris who also took Joe Biden to task. In this one, it's actually young guy against young guy. Swalwell and Buttigieg. If you don't know, there is a controversy right now, or it has existed for a while, surrounding uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg as as the mayor of uh, his town. South Bend, Indiana. South Bend, Indiana, where there was an officer-involved shooting. White officer killed a black man. And his uh, body camera just happened to be turned off at the time, which was against policy. 
Uh, they ask him about this, especially in the in in light in light of where we are in this country and things that we're focusing on that are very important. And Swalwell did that thing we talked about, where he interjects and uh, leaves Buttigieg pretty uh, pretty stunned. Uh, with Mayor Buttigieg. Uh, In the last five years, civil rights activists in our country have led a national debate over race and the criminal justice system. Your community of South Bend, Indiana, has recently been in uproar over an officer-involved shooting. The police force in South Bend is now 6% black in a city that is 26% black. Why has that not improved over your two terms as mayor? Because I couldn't get it done. My community is in anguish right now. Because of an officer-involved shooting, a black man, Eric Logan, killed by a white officer. And I'm not allowed to take sides until the investigation comes back. The officer said he was attacked with a knife, but he didn't have his body camera on. It's a mess, and we're hurting. And I could walk you through all of the things that we have done as a community, all of the steps that we took from bias training to de-escalation, but it didn't save the life of Eric Logan. And when I look into his mother's eyes, I have to face the fact that nothing that I say will bring him back. This is an issue that is facing our community and so many communities around the country. And until we move policing out from the shadow of systemic racism, whatever this particular incident teaches us, we will be left with the bigger problem of the fact that there's a wall of mistrust put up one racist act at a time, not just from what's happened in the past, but from what's happening around the country in the present. It threatens the well-being of every community. And I am determined to bring about a day when a white person driving a vehicle and a black person driving a vehicle, when they see a police officer approaching, feels the exact same thing, a feeling not of fear, but of safety. I am determined to bring that day about. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. If I could could ask one one question, just because I think... Governor, I'll give you 30 seconds. I think that uh, the question they're asking in South Bend, I think it sees across the country, is why has it taken so long? Uh, We had a shooting when I first became mayor, 10 years before Ferguson, and the community came together, and we created an office of the Independent Monitor, a civilian oversight commission. We diversified the police force in two years. We actually did de-escalation training. I think the real question that America should be asking is why, five years after Ferguson, every city doesn't have this level of police accountability. Governor Hickenlooper, thank we, you. I've got to respond to that. Look, we've taken so many steps toward police accountability that you know, the FOP just denounced me for too much accountability. We're obviously not there yet. And if I accept the, responsibility the camera, the camera for that because I'm that in was charge. Policy, you should fire the chief. So under Indiana law, this will be investigated, and there will be accountability for the officer involved. But you're the mayor. You should fire the chief if that's the policy and someone died. All of these issues are extremely important, but there are specifics. There are symptoms. And the underlying cause has to do with deep, deep, deep realms of racial injustice, both in our criminal justice system and in our economic system. And the Democratic Party should be on the side of reparations for slavery for this very reason. Well, that leads me to what we're not going to talk about this episode, which is reparations. And we're going to do it next time. So I want to hear from you guys about what your feelings are. I did a video on YouTube about it. We're going to talk about it a little bit more at length here on next episode. 657-464-7609. Of course, email voice memos. I doubt it at dollamore.com. But back to the clip here. Let me praise and uh, shit on Judge a little bit. Pretty stark distinction that can be drawn between how Joe Biden is dealing with things. No apologies ever. 
and uh, flatly saying, I couldn't get it done. Yeah, it was awesome. That's humility. We need more. Yeah, listen, there is a chief requirement uh, of character, I believe, to be a good president. Mm -hmm. And I think humility is it. You have to be, you have to have enough humility to hire people maybe smarter than you to to devise uh, policy, to run divisions of the government that take a specific expertise. That's humility that allows that to be done. Mm Mm-hmm. You need humility enough to hire staff that can look you in the eye and tell you, no, we're off track here. Who have, who can be confident enough to tell you when they disagree. That takes humility. As far as my estimation measures things, Joe Biden isn't showing humility in this race. He's being recalcitrant about his past positions. We're going to get to it here. I'll just save it for then, I guess. But um, that's that's the praise for Buttigieg. The thing that 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 uh, that I would give criticism about mm-hmm. is that he tried to slyly sidestep. Well, there's an investigation, and the officer will be will be uh, punished or not based on by, based on the inquiry. Right. That's not what Swalwell was talking about. Mm-hmm. Swalwell said, if the policy was this, you should have fired the chief. And he tried to sidestep that. Mm -hmm. Issues with police forces need to be handled fucking swiftly and with responsibility. If you have a police force, a a chief of your police force, the head cop, the buck stops there. And if you have an officer who conveniently, how many times we fucking talked about this, where conveniently the body camera shut off. Nope. No more. Zero tolerance. Mm -hmm. Zero fucking tolerance. Technology doesn't fail like that so often that it just so happened to be off. If you're so irresponsible that you bump your camera and turn it off, what else are you going to be irresponsible about? You're carrying a fucking loaded weapon. A weapon of death. Mm -hmm. You can't handle a body camera. You're not responsible enough to handle a gun. Something should have been done with this, Chief. Eric Swalwell is right, and he was good to call him out on it. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I said what I said. I think his humility is showing, and he's demonstrating that, and I like that. Mm-hmm. So next clip, the next two clips, we're going to skip the Marianne Williamson one about the love. We'll get to it. We're going to hear from her more. Marianne but. Williamson, the spiritual guru, author, um, goofball who is running for president and yes. who, by the way, um, Jeff Rowe, he, he's the founder of Axiom Strategies, the, according to his Twitter bio, largest GOP campaign firm in the country. Mm-hmm. He worked with Ted Cruz on um, his 2016 presidential run. Mm-hmm. He tweeted calling on Republicans to go to her website and donate a dollar to keep her on the debate stage, <laughs> saying one debate performance is not enough. Yeah. So he's really... Wanting to support Marianne Williamson. Uh, we're going to have to play the clip now because we'll save it for the very end because it's just so, come on. Anyway, uh, this next one is uh, Joe Biden getting shit from Bernie Sanders. And again, this just demonstrates why Joe Biden isn't the candidate for this age. He may have been great 20 years ago. He is not great for 2019. 
You have made your decades of experience in foreign policy a pillar of your campaign. But when the time came to say yes or no on one of the most consequential foreign policy decisions of the last century, you voted for the Iraq war. You have since said you regret that vote. But why should voters trust your judgment when it comes to making a decision about taking the country to war the next time? Because once, we, once Bush abused that power, what happened was we got elected after that. I made sure the president turned to me and said, Joe, get our combat troops out of Iraq. I was responsible for getting 150,000 combat troops out of Iraq, and my son was one of them. I also think we should not have combat troops in Afghanistan. It's long overdue. It should end. And I, thirdly, I believe that you're not going to find anybody who has pulled together more of our alliances to deal with what is the real stateless threat out there. We cannot go it alone in terms of dealing with terrorism. So I'd eliminate the, the, uh, the, the, the act that allowed us to go into war and not the AUMF and make sure that it could only be used for what its intent was, what its intent was, and that is to go after terrorists, but never do it alone. That's why we have to repair our alliances. We put together 65 countries to make sure we dealt with ISIS in Iraq and other places. That's what I would do. That's what I have done, and I know how to do it. Senator Sanders, 30 but seconds. One of, the differences, one of the differences that Joe and I have in our record is Joe voted for that war, I helped lead the opposition to that war, which is a total disaster. Second of all, I helped lead the effort for the first time to utilize the War Powers Act to get the United States out of the Saudi-led intervention in Yemen, which is the most horrific humanitarian disaster on earth. And thirdly, let me be very clear, I will do everything I can to prevent a war with Iran, which would be far worse than disastrous war with Senator Iraq. Sanders, thank you. All right, guys. So listen, you can't, you can't argue with that. That's fucking fact of votes. Bernie voted against the war early on, one of the few who did. And Joe Biden was on board. Look, I was on board. It's not about that. It's not about that he made a mistake. It's the fact that he won't just say, yeah, hey, fuck, bummer. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was convinced by the intelligence. I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. He just brushes by. He will. Yeah, I voted for it. I voted to send him there. But when the president told me to get him out of there, I did it. Yeah, I went to this neighborhood and lit a bunch of houses on fire. But I also grabbed a hose and put those fires out after the houses were destroyed. Don't I get credit for that? Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Yeah. All right, next up, Kamala Harris, really the highlight of the evening, wouldn't you say? Well, I was waiting for it because someone had to do it. Someone had to go right for Joe Biden. And I know that you kind of characterize that exchange with um, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden as Bernie going for Joe Biden. But really, no. I mean, it was Kamala Harris who really went right for him. That really was just contrasting records. Right. And this probably was planned. Um, uh, most certainly was. But I want to give it some context. So Joe Biden recently got into trouble because he was at a fundraiser recently and he was talking about his ability to work across the aisle. You know, he likes to talk about that. Oh, yeah. And he was specifically referring to uh, the relationship that he had with a Democratic san- senator from Mississippi uh, from 1943 to 1978, James Eastland. Mm-hmm. And a Democratic senator from Georgia from 1957 to 1981. Um, you're going to have to help me with this name. 
Hemin Talmadge? Talmadge? Talmadge, yeah. Um, they were both strong opponents of desegregation. And they were racists. Yes. Yeah. And what 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 was specifically troubling about um Joe Biden's remarks is that he said that James Eastland referred to him as son but not boy. Um What a good man. Wow. Obviously Goddamn. not the best comment to make given that white men uh from that time often called black adults boy of course they still do these racist fucks um in order to be demeaning right that's the purpose of that yeah um and then you know this came up the press was asking should joe biden apologize for this and um senator cory booker was one of the people that was asked this question should joe biden apologize for this um should he apologize for the boy comments um the eastland comments saying that he could work with the people that uh were opponents of desegregation um Cory Booker said that yes he he should apologize and then biden was told this and he actually said that no Booker should apologize. Yeah, he literally did what Donald Trump said, what what Donald Trump does, which is I'm not going to apologize. He should apologize. He should apologize to me. Mm-hmm. Come the fuck on. Yeah. Um. And then he also said <laughs> that there's not a racist bone in my body. Oh, really? He's the least racist person on earth. Oh my god. Yeah. No, no, I'm not a racist. I don't have a racist bone in my body. Where have we heard that before? Yeah. I am the least racist person you have ever interviewed. That I can tell you. I'm right. probably the least racist person on earth. Donald Trump, not Joe Biden. But apparently Joe Biden's taking a page out of the out of the old Trump playbook. Yeah. So I wanted to give this context because um, I'm not sure that, that the detail is there um, in Kamala's response. But um, race comes up. And she takes an opportunity to direct the conversation. Yeah, that's exactly well, what she says. What isn't in the clip is when race does come up. She goes, well, listen, I want to talk about race as the only black woman on the stage. Yes. So on the issue of race, I couldn't agree more that this is an issue that is still not being talked about truthfully and honestly. I, there is not a black man I know, be he a relative, a friend, or a coworker, who has not been the subject of some form of profiling or discrimination. Growing up, my sister and I had to deal with the neighbor who told us her parents couldn't play with us because, she, because we were black. And I will say also that, that in this campaign, we've also heard, and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden, um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you. When you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. 
As Attorney General of California, I was very proud to put in place a, a requirement that all my special agents would wear body cameras and keep those cameras on. Senator Harris, thank you. Vice President Biden, you have been invoked. We are going to give you a chance to respond. Vice President Biden. mischaracterization of my position across the board. I do not praise racist. That is not true. Number one. Number two, if we want to have this campaign litigated on who supports civil rights and whether I did or not, I'm happy to do that. I was a public defender. I didn't become a prosecutor. I came out and I left a good law firm to become a public defender when in fact, when in fact, when in fact my city was in flames because of the, the uh, assassination of Dr. King. Number one. Now, number two, as the U.S. as excuse me, as the uh, uh, vice president of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we work very hard to see to it. We dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, the busing, I never you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But they, Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today? That you were wrong to oppose busing in America then. No, Do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I opposed. Well, I there did was not a oppose. failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was part of the second it, class to integrate Berkeley, it, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local decision. So that's where the federal government must step the, in. The that's why we have the Voting Rights get... Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA, because that's there what... are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of I all people. I supported the okay, ERA from the very beginning when Vice I ran President for the Biden, 30 seconds, because I want to bring you know, other people I report, into this. I supported I the ERA from the very beginning. I'm the guy that extended the Voting Rights Act for 25 years. We got to the place where we got 98 out of 98 votes in the United States Senate doing it. I've also argued very strongly that we, in fact, deal with the notion of denying people access to the ballot box. I agree that everybody, once they, in fact, they should, anyway, my time's up. I'm- not, not a good look there. Not, um, I want to ditch out of this. Yeah. Everyone else goes over time. Ah, oh, my time's up. Okay. Do you think in that moment he suddenly realized, oh, shit, I just argued for states' rights? <laughs> I, I hope I he better stop talking it. right now. I hope he that's what he was doing. Yeah. Um, I do want to say there was um, a very slight fucking states, right? A very slight artful um, thing that he did there where he said, I didn't become a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. I became a public defender where he was very slightly criticizing the fact that and this is going to come up for Kamala Harris. And it should uh, as she rises and she will continue to rise. Google Kevin Cooper because she was not a progressive prosecutor no. and her record as a prosecutor is going to be challenged and she better have some good answers for that or she's going to fall. Yeah. Well, and she should she should have good answers. Like I said, Google the name. Just Google Kamala Harris, Kevin Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But so like we were saying, uh, this really did turn into a situation where Joe Biden was making a states rights argument, which is so strange that this happened. It would have been no different. What he said was, uh, Listen, you. I wasn't against busing. I was just against the, the the federal government intervening because it's a state's right issue. That's what he's saying. It would have been no different of him saying, look, I don't have anything against black people eating at a lunch counter with white people. You would have been able to do that. That's just up to your city council to make that decision. It's the same fucking argument. And when he was, the, the reason this came up is because he praised, I was able to work across the aisle, everybody, and work with segregationists like Talmadge and Eastland. And what he worked on with them was trying to propose a constitutional amendment against busing. He worked with racists to continue segregation in America. Yes. And listen, like she said, I don't believe Joe Biden is a racist, but he's a product of his time. And so admitting it, right? Just admitting it and talking and talking about the error, talking about what prompted the change, right? All that stuff is necessary uh, and it's necessary for healing. And um, another person that everyone should be following on Twitter is at in Hannah Jones. And this is Nicole Hannah Jones, um, an investigative journalist known for her coverage of civil rights. And she actually tweeted on this issue. And I want to read some of her, her Twitter thread here. So she said, quote, let's be clear here. The opposition was to court-ordered desegregation, not to busing. There was no vehicle that would lead to wide-scale desegregation that white people would not have reacted viciously to. Let's be clear on the real culprit, racism. White kids never bore the brunt of busing. It was black kids most of the time who were bused out of black neighborhoods and into white schools and rarely the inverse. The opposition was not to busing, but to large numbers of black kids entering white schools. Funny how in this discussion, no one ever brings up Charlotte, Swan versus Mecklenburg, or all the places across the South where busing was successfully implemented and with profound results. White journalists readily buy into this faux idea of busing because many of them would not enroll their kids in schools with large number of black kids either. And it's easy to pretend the opposition was to the vehicle and not to the integration. White resistance to integration occurred no matter what. And white flight occurred both in cities that implemented buses for integration and those that never had busing for integration. Again, racism was the problem, not busing. And it happened in the South and it also happened in the North. In New England, where, oh, they're all progressive. Oh, we love everybody. Right. It happened there, too. And and the reason this, this tweet thread is necessary is because you have a lot of people now talking about how people were not opposed to the court order desegregation, but to the mandated busing. Right. And that is an attempt to obscure the discussion that is being had here. Um, I've been seeing videos of Ben Shapiro and all these other turds out there talking yeah. about this. And we need to just stick to the facts, stick to the history. And um, Joe Biden needs to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's, of course, we want to hear from you. Um, we love doing big double episodes like this. 657-464-7609. Again, 657, a little slower. 464-7609 should be programmed into your phone. You can also email voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit 
at dollamore.com. Okay, so we're going to finish with uh, the debate talk. <laughs> we got an asshole today, but it's uh, Marianne Williamson, who apparently is like a self-help guru. She's like a, like a, she has the ear of Oprah. She speaks in a lot of platitudes about energy. I'm sure she thinks that the universe told her to run for president, but um, everybody was like giving their final deals and she, I'm just going to play it. We'll talk about it. Sorry we haven't talked more tonight about how we're going to beat Donald Trump. I have an idea about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not going to be beaten just by insider politics talk. He's not going to be beaten just by somebody who has plans. He's going to be beaten by somebody who has an idea what this man has done. This man has reached into the psyche of the American people, and he has harnessed fear for political purposes. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes, and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field, and, sir, love will win. Thank you. I was not surprised, but I was kind of bummed. Um, not surprised because, of course, the first thing that comes to mind when you're watching Marianne Williamson is, can't wait for SNL. <laughs> Kate McKinnon. I think Kate McKinnon may have already done it on Seth Meyers. I oh, think, really? I think wait so. Wait a minute, what? Yeah. Like, right away? Yeah, let me look. Well, they, they had her ready to come out? <laughs> yeah, I think that's how it works. Because okay. they're, they're in between seasons right now. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah, right here. Okay. Kate McKinnon perfectly impersonates Marianne Williamson okay. one day ago. They did it yesterday, in fact. All right, well, there you go. <laughs> but everyone was tweeting about that. And, of course, because Kate McKinnon is awesome and carries that show by playing um, everybody. She does carry the show. Um, But... I I, I want to talk a l- well say what you want to say about well, Marianne. No, here's Williamson. the deal. It's it just it, it's nonsense to say he's not going to be beat by policy or ideas or plans. That yes he is. Because he's going to be defeated by love. By love, Brittany. <laughs> love will defeat Donald Trump mm-hmm. at the ballot box. How the fuck does that work? Get on the ground with me, Marianne, and tell me exactly how love wins an election. It's a nice idea. Yeah, it's fucking fluffy and warm, and mm, that's nice, but -hmm. it's not practical. It's not how elections are won. Elections are won by convincing the electorate that you have a better idea for the future of America. And in the case of Donald Trump, he didn't convince more than half. But he certainly convinced enough to win the Electoral College that America was going to go back to 1950, where there were second-class citizens and white people would rule again. That is ultimately what he convinced people of, that I'm a businessman, I know what I'm doing, and I'm going to show us the way to prosperity again. And he did nothing but follow in the track, follow the same path of prosperity that uh, uh, Barack Obama set up for him. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, so it's just, it's nonsense. I don't think she's going to, I have, I would bet everything I have, she's not going to continue on past, I'm not going to name a date because I'm, you know, risking everything I have, Brittany. Yeah. But she's not going to be president. She's not going to be a cabinet member. I don't know what she's doing here, but, you know, let her hippy dippy, you know, patchouli smelling, crystal gazing nonsense be an amusement, but not a distraction. All right. So 
now that you have that out of your system. Um, All right. 538 partnered with the Morning Consult to um, measure this question of uh, who won the debate. And typically that is just by asking people who won the debate. Um, But that doesn't... (laughs) Seems seems logical. But that's not the most helpful way to do it, right? Because we actually want to know what people thought about the candidates before... And, after. and then after the yeah. debate. And so that's where 538 comes in with Morning Consult to actually track the feelings that people had about the candidates before watching the debate and then after watching the debates. And so this is according to 538. Among all 20 candidates, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and Julian Castro earned the highest scores for their debate performances relative to their favorability rating before they took the stage, according to the voters in our poll. Bernie Sanders and Cory Booker also rated well, but their scores were more in line with their pre-debate favorability. Meanwhile, voters didn't exactly think Beto O'Rourke did badly on night one, but his grades were underwhelming given his popularity. Yeah. So those were kind of the larger takeaways. Other people didn't necessarily move that much, I think. That's interesting to me because I was, uh, I mean, I I expected Cory Booker to do well because I think he's awesome, but uh, he... He surprised me. I was happy with his performance the first night. Yeah. And so for Biden, he he did lose some supporters, but um, the overwhelmingly positive favorability ratings didn't necessarily change for him. So even though he was a little bit hurt by his debate performance, 538 is suggesting that he can likely still recover yeah. um, from those lost that'll, supporters. That, we'll, that, that'll be, we'll wait to see what happens, because as people rise, some people are going to just have to fall. That's just what happens. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have a feeling he's going to he's going to be struggling. I, I think there's a very good chance he won't be the nominee, yeah. which is good. I think is good. So according according to this, again, um, the big... The big winners, according to the net favorability ratings, were Harris, Castro, Booker, and Warren, and they say especially Castro. Yeah, yeah, ri- rising, rising that level is is good. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, I, he did a good job. He's a smart guy. I think he would be, uh, it'd be great. I, having a, another person of color in office, there's no downside. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a good thing, and I'm I'm glad that those are the we have two women um, and three people of color. In that list that you just gave, th- those four people, that's awesome. Yeah, for Elizabeth sure. Warren just being a lady, but a white lady. Mm-hmm. Fucking, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a testament to where we are in America that they're doing as well as they are. That it wasn't just your generic, fucking white seventy-four-year-old man who rose to the top. Well, and it's also refreshing to watch a debate and hear issues that are very important that we care about climate change, income inequality, um, immigrants being treated terribly at the border. um, All of these things, you know, um, important issues. You're not hearing Bible thumping. um, You're not hearing like attacks on gay people. You know, Uh, Cory Booker brought up trans rights. I think that that I read it was the first time that trans rights, trans rights had been brought up at a debate on the debate stage. Yeah. It's refreshing. Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we want to hear. Inclusion. Fucking inclusion. Absolutely. And talking about science, you know, that's important. (laughs) Yeah. Talking about science with respect for science. Yes. And data. Yeah. And research. Yeah. And what is going to bring us out of the climate crisis that we're in right now that threatens, as someone mentioned on stage, is a, the greatest, it was, it was Kamala. 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 Kamala, Kamala. I, I got to get it right. We're going to have to figure this out. It's, it's Kamala. She says Kamala. Oh, okay. But 
Kamala just seems it's well, easier. What have I been saying? Kamala. The wrong one. Yeah, I, I fluctuate between the two because I kind of prep myself. She pronounces her name Kamala. Kamala. Kamala Harris. Oh, okay. Like Kam. Allah. Yeah. Kamala. Yeah. All right. Not Kamala. Okay. What is it? Kamala. Yeah, right. Okay. So anyway, she's the one who mentioned on stage, but that was a little non sacramental. Uh, she's the one who mentioned on stage that it is a, a crisis, an existential crisis to our species. Mm-hmm. People need to start thinking about it that way. Yeah. You know, in 150 years, there might not be us around because we fucking shit on the planet so much that it just killed us all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we want to know, like we said, where you guys are with this. Who were your favorites? What were your takeaways? What do you think is being talked about too much? What do you think is not being talked about enough? 657-464-7609 or send a voice memo of three minutes or fewer to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. We're just going to say the Faith and Freedom Coalition conference. Yes. That happened last week. Donald Trump was in attendance and um, he, oh my God, there was one moment where which, he, which one you want to start with? Well, he, br- <laughs> he brought a guy up on stage okay. or he was on stage with a guy, whatever happened. I didn't give this too much thought. Um, and he started talking about the man's wife who was sitting in the audience. His wife is beautiful. Let me see. Stand up. Look at that. What a family. Look at that. Uh, look at that. Stand up. Look at that. Look at that. What? What is happening right now? Look at that. Mm. <sighs> He's got a real hot wife. Stand up. Let me look at you. And, and he, uh, when you yeah. watch the video, his eyes go up and down. Yeah. They're like checking her out yeah. from the side. <laughs> It is the strangest thing. It wasn't the strangest moment from the thing, though. Yeah. So Natalie Harp um, was also on stage and she commended Donald Trump for his support of signing Right to Try, which is an act that allows terminally ill patients access to drug treatments that have not been approved by the FDA. And it's a great thing. And so she's a cancer patient. Did I already say that? No. And um, she's fighting cancer and she just went above and beyond in her praise for Trump. And it was uh, Listen, concerning. If you're a decent human being who also happens to be a Christian and you understand the Bible and you know the words of Christ and you understand the philosophies of Jesus and you know about the, the, the love and concern and empathy for refugees and the charge of Jesus to the people to 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 be kind and to love your neighbor like yourself you know what the bible says about people like donald trump and who behave like donald trump and this woman who who purports to be a christian introduces donald trump in the weirdest most creepy fucking way i've ever heard while she actually legitimately gets emotional because she's believing the things she's saying again about donald trump but then an outsider my good samaritan president donald let me say this too i mean he's standing right behind her on stage at the podium 
So she is alternating between gesturing to him, who's a, he's an arm's length away, and then to the audience. She's in between them both, just just bringing in the energy, and just it, it, it is fantastically bizarre. But then an outsider, my good Samaritan, President Donald J. Trump, he saw me there, and he didn't walk by. He stopped. And for every single one of us, he gave up his own quality of life so we could live and work and fight with dignity because he believes in survival of the fighters, not the fittest. And so, Mr. President, I have to say you have made a lot of promises to us and you have kept every one of them. So now we're going to make you this promise. Just as you fought for us, Forgotten America will never forget how you saw us on the side of the road and you walked over and you picked us up and you made us great again. And now we're going to fight for you, Mr. President. God bless you. She is comparing Donald Trump, the man who has ordered children thrown into cages, ripped from the arms of their parents, maybe never to be reunited again. She's comparing him to the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Are you out of your motherfucking gourd? That is in incredibly disrespectful to the text of that holy book that people believe in. Well, and you know, two Corinthians is just laughing his ass <laughs> off, right? Inside, oh, internally. Oh, he's got to be like, yeah, yeah. I got these motherfuckers he's like, fooled. I know, look at all of these fucking fools, right? He couldn't even name his favorite scripture. Oh, they're all so fantastic. No, no, it's too special to me. Yeah. I can't name, I can't name. <laughs> well, what, can you even give us the best testament? Which one? Oh, no, they're both, they're tremendous tremendous i can't i can't do that mm -hmm. too hard to choose a favorite bible verse real easy to choose a favorite child ivanka i could tell you my favorite bible verse when i was a, in a, a christian mm -hmm. it's philippians four thirteen. i can do all things through christ jesus who strengthens me look at that yeah i also was fond of isaiah 55 8 9 that uh for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. Mm. And just as the heavens are high above the earth, are my thoughts and my ways above yours. So if you got a question about shit, don't question that shit. Just know I'm smarter and better and stronger because I'm God. Every time I had a question about anything that somebody couldn't explain, that's what they said. Well, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And just as the heavens are higher than we are on earth so are his ways and thoughts above ours so don't question he's got that shit on lock that's ultimately what they told me it's a good fucking time <laughs> good fucking time so um while we empathize with natalie a harp and her um well, I'm, her, I'm, I'm her glad, illness yeah i'm glad some legislation was signed to help her out that's awesome absolutely uh we don't necessarily feel as though this was um an altogether uh, <laughs> useful or... Um, yeah, he's not the Good Samaritan, ding-dong. Accurate depiction. Yeah. Not the he, best. He's a traitor to our nation and a violator of our Constitution. He disrespects the rule of law with every fucking breath he takes. A little too much excitement for someone so hateful. Ugh. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're going to end it there. Big show. Mm -hmm. Brittany Page. Yeah. Big show. Still want to do the reparations episode? Talking about that? 
at length, go watch my video on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Send in some thoughts. We want to hear from you. We guys. really do. Even if you dis- even if you dissent, if you're not being racist about it, we want to hear from you. We're friendly. Even if you're racist, I'll fucking play your shit and tear you apart. Well, good times. I mean, it depends. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. I have the sole discretion. Yeah, I have dual discretion. Mm-hmm. Brittany also has discretion. When I said we're a discretion over when here. When I said we're nice, I think it was timed too closely to when you were talking about accepting comments from racists. <laughs> and I just wanted to say that um, I was trying to follow up. We want to hear dissent. Yeah, I know with, everyone knows. Anyway, I don't think everyone knows, and I think it's important to clarify again. Perception. We hear what we want to hear. Sometimes, just trying to put that. That out is there. a fact. That All right. Fact. All right. Listen. We'd love your support also on Patreon. Go to teamdollamore.com if you are in a position to help us financially. This is a listener-supported, a listener-produced program. A shit ton of work goes in to what we do. I know that it seems like you just go on in there, flip on the mics, and I don't know why I'm doing that voice, but you just go in there and just talk about shit. These clips have to be produced. They have to be found. They have to be organized. We have to do a shit ton of research to to, to know who Senator Talmadge was mm-hmm. and Eastland yeah. was. Yeah. To know Isaiah 55, 8, 9. We have to research that. To give all the background and information. Yes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, if you are in a position to help us out, to support the show, we would love to have you in the Patreon family. There's all kinds of little perks Go check out the website, teamdollamore.com. We'll redirect you there. We love you guys. We will look forward to reading your ratings and reviews on iTunes if they are profanity-free because iTunes will not publish them if they're not. And now I'm out of stuff to say. My voice is a little froggy, Brittany Page. Mm-hmm. Kind of a... Uh, I sound like a broadcaster mm-hmm. with this low... You are a broadcaster. Well, then I sound like one, too. Mm-hmm. Perfect. What a gr- match made in heaven. There you go. <laughs> can we end the show now? We can. All right. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been a big I Doubt It with Dollimore. I forgot. Speaking of dumbness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs>